We're going to be learning about this verse from Haftal in the next, uh, next minor, please God. So we'll start that tomorrow. Okay, we're learning a Sicha from Pasha's Miketz based on the mimer that we just finished from Bayesha from Torah Or. Connection between dreams and Golos. And we had an introduction to the idea of dreams and Golos, which was kind of like a summary of what we had just learned previously. And then we started to explain this idea in practical Avaidas Hashem. So we started off by discussing the idea that we could think that if we're not being consistent in our service of God, then it's not actually real. But actually, the truth is that it's the opposite. The only real thing that we're doing is that which lasts, that which is permanent, that's the truth. And that is the Torah and mitzvahs. And the negative things that we do, or the things that are not, in, are not in lined with, aligned with that, are actually not even real because they're not lasting. They're only temporary because they can be changed through teshuva. And so when you, a person thinks that his Torah and mitzvah doesn't count, his prayer doesn't count because he didn't act on that consistently, that's, that's not the case and he shouldn't let himself think that way because actually the only real thing that he is ever doing is the Torah and the mitzvahs and the prayer and the connection to Hashem. We're going to start another idea. We started already yesterday, which was pra- a practical from Dalat, the, the Rebbe says, like a practical instruction from this idea that we find ourselves in exile in a state of dreaming. And it was that we should not limit ourselves to that which is logical and orderly in our time in exile because that's not the way that we live. That's not actually the way that we live our lives because we're in exile. And so we need to actually base our service of Hashem off of the fact that there are tremendous opportunities specifically down here because we're in a dreamlike state and that just as in a dream, crazy things can happen and opposites can coexist. And because of that, and when our soul is sleeping, it draws down life from very lofty places. So too, we are able to reach places in service of God, specifically because we're in this chaotic state that we wouldn't have been able to reach if everything was orderly. So the Rebbe is saying, don't make the mistake and say, I'm going to do everything step by step. Once I've perfectly completed step number one, I can move on to step number two and so on. And again, if we were living in an orderly way in every area of our life, then maybe that would work, but that's not actually the way that we're living our life. That's not the truth. So we can, we shouldn't limit ourselves to that, but rather we can reach for things that are higher. Just as in a dream, anything is possible. So too in the dream, like state of exile, anything is possible when it comes to our opportunities and abilities to serve Hashem and to connect with Him. And the end of this chapter, which we're going, of this first paragraph from Dalit, page 76, which we're going to continue with, is this quote from the Gemara, which says, Chatov v'achol, Grab and eat, grab and drink. There was a discussion going on in the Gemara. You know, what, what's kind of the lesson that you've learned from living in this life? And one of the Tanami said, I, what I learned was grab and eat, grab and drink. While, you're, while you can, grab what you can. Which on the surface means take the opportunities that come to you, whatever they are. Um, and on the Hasidic level, we're going to understand what this is talking about. And this, this connects with the idea 
that we should be reaching for levels that maybe even seem logically impossible for us because we have the ability to whatever is in front of us has been given to us as an as a opportunity to grab it and go for it so the rep is going to elaborate on this and continue we're on page 76 second paragraph on the right which starts with af okay so we ended off with behetem laharas razal which fits with the instruction that our sages gave us, grab and eat, grab and drink. What does this mean? Even for a person, that finds himself in a situation, that about him he can say, it's impossible, to begin to serve God, without first repenting, first on the past. So for someone who says, before I can move on, I first have to fix the past. Paisek, we have a psak, we have a ruling, imzois, with this argument. From Admor Zaken, from the Alter Rebbe Batania, in the Tanya, which is Pnimiya Satira, which is Chsidis, Uba Shulchan Aruch, and in the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, which is Goliath the Torah, which is the revealed elements of the Torah, Shegama love that even on this person who still has a lot to fix from his past, he is obligated, Lil my Torah, or Lakaya Mitzvahs, to learn Torah and to fulfill Mitzvahs. Lamarot, despite the fact, Shalafi Shah, that in that moment that he had found himself in, he's adding energy to the other side. Because he can say, listen, my intentions aren't correct. My heart isn't straight. I have to fix things up. How am I going to take all that I am and put it into Torah learning? And the answer is, even if his intentions in his Torah learning aren't perfect, and it might even be adding kayak to negative things, at the end of the day, nevertheless, we are promised, we are certain who, that this will not be pushed away from him. And his Torah and mitzvahs will return eventually with him. So we there's an example of this idea of the Rebbe actually playing out this idea in real life. Uh, has anyone heard of Ruven Dunin? Ruven Dunin was, uh, he grew up in a Hasidic home. And then he ended up going off the derach, I guess that's what we call it. Um, he moved to Israel and he became a kibbutznik, like one of the real, you know, kibbutzniks who used to work all day and then party all night. Like he was, he was all out there. Um, he totally left everything behind until he ended up meeting, up, meeting with a mashpi. I think it was from Migdal Ha'emek, Migdal something. Um, a Chabad who was a Mashpia of Chabad Yeshiva in Israel and he ended up leaving everything behind and going to Yeshiva and becoming a Chabad Chassid. He was a young man and he used to sit every night like at Shema and just cry and cry and cry about all the things that he had done and like he was really he was really into it. Um, he wanted to visit the Rebbe a lot but his like his Rosh Yeshiva told him not yet, not yet, not yet can't go yet can't, until eventually he said okay you can go and his first meeting he had a private meeting with the Rebbe this was in the early days um, when the Rebbe was still having private audiences he had a private meeting with the Rebbe and he said to the Rebbe I want you to give me a derech in tshuva like a path forward for tshuva and he explained to the Rebbe he described how every night he would cry and cry and cry and 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 he still wasn't working and he wanted to just cleanse himself of everything and the first thing the Rebbe said to him in response was do you know how to drive a tractor 
a tractor for him represented his kibbutznik days, right? So he was shocked. Yeah. Rabbi said, I want you to start driving a tractor again. Um, and he said, yeah, but what about the tshuva? Like, what? <laughs> he said, that, that, um, that we'll deal with later. Um, and the Rebbe was basically saying, go and do good things. <laughs> go and do good things. Stop focusing on the past. And the Rebbe says that about 20 years later, there was a, a, a sicha that the Rebbe gave over, Hadran. Did we learn it by Yom Kippur? Who was here then? Um, I think we learned a part of it that speaks about just as a mikvah purifies the impure. So to sh- no, no. I wonder if we, we learned it this year. Right, but then for Yom Kippur, I think we had one class. I think we did it in one class, one idea from it. Anyway, but that sikh which speaks about tshuva, Rivendon said that then he got his answer for his path in tshuva, like 20 years later. But he ended up um, getting a tractor, and he lived in Haifa, I think it was, and he brought hundreds of Yidin back to Yiddishkeit because of his tractor, because he was very relatable. Um, he used to drive around in his tractor, and he was this Hasidic guy. Uh, he was a big personality. There's lots of stories with Rivendon and um, but yeah, he went to the Rebbe and he was very serious about his tshuva and that he wanted to be able to move forward and first fix everything. The Rebbe didn't even say a word about it. Like, no, just, just go forward. Um, go forward. Eventually it'll come. The answers will come about the tshuva and it'll all fit together. But, but now you need, to, you need to move forward. And there's another story with uh, a, one of the Talmidim, one of the students of the Friedrich Rebbe was waiting in line for an audience and in front of him was an older chassid, a well-known chassid who I'm, I apologize for getting his name. Um, when you tell stories like a chassid and a, and a great chassid and a, and a rebbe, it's like, well, this was all made up. But actually there, there are names for, we've had it from the student himself, but I don't remember the, the, the chassid's name. He was standing in line behind this older, big chassid, waiting in line to go. And, and as they're getting close, it's an hours long line. He's watching the man in front of him, davening and davening and davening and davening. And um, saying to Hillem, pouring out his heart, and he's thinking like, "Oh my gosh, like I'm, not, I'm not ready like this guy to go in." He was feeling all. He's trying also to say this to Hillem and everything. And then as they get to the front of the line, and it's this man's turn, he runs. He just disappears and runs away. And he's just like, "What?" So he ran after him to chase after him. He said, "You waited for hours. You finally your turn came." He said, "Yeah, no, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet." So the student thought, "Okay, if he's not ready, I'm definitely ready. Not ready. I'm not. I'm not going in." The next day, the same thing happened. He was waiting in line again to go in his turn, and the chassid is in front of him, saying to him, saying to him, and he eventually gets right to the door and runs away again. And the chassid thinks, listen, like, I guess I'm not ready either. Until eventually, the student realizes that every single time that this chassid returns back to the line, he's actually coming back a better person than he was before. He's like, I'm the same person. I may as well just go in. You know, I may as well just go in for my, for my interview um, with, with the Rebbe. When we, when we push things off because we're waiting for them to be perfect, it's usually counterproductive. Somebody once wrote to the rabbi, it's a famous letter that he wrote that he is going to start keeping certain areas of tournaments just once he understands them. He's like dedicating a lot of time now to learning the nuances and the logic behind it. And then once he gets it, he's going to start taking it on. And the rabbi responded with the famous marshal famous because it's become famous since the rabbi said it, that if you go to the doctor, and the doctor, God forbid, tells a person, you have a very serious illness and I need to put you straight away on this type of medication and this treatment in order to save your life. So the person could respond, listen, you're putting all of these crazy things into my body. I don't know what they are. I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to study them. I'm going to find out what this treatment plan is. 
and then I'm going to come back, right? What would the doctor say? By then, it might be too late, right? And the Rebbe was saying to this man the same message, that if you're waiting to understand things perfectly, it might by then be too late, because the Torah and the mitzvahs that we do, even if we don't have a perfect past, add light, as we're going to see from, from the end of the Sicha, and give us the power and the life to be able to actually move forward and to actually do Teshuvah. So we shouldn't limit ourselves to where we're holding and to our past and to fixing up all of the holes before being able to move forward. Now, this wasn't always the case. In more enlightened times, that's how it worked. You couldn't go to the base of Mikdash until you purified yourself from whatever had happened, right? You couldn't enter certain spaces if you weren't up to par. This was the reality because there was a lot more clarity. But we're not in that state for the positive and the negative. And the positive of that is that we are not limited to our past and to where we're holding right now to be able to actually move forward and to grab onto opportunities as, um, as they come. And this idea of is used in... Um, grab and eat, grab and drink, is a very Hasidic, it's, it's a Gemara, but it's used in Hasidus, it's a very Hasidic idea, which is that today, these days, we, we don't actually know exactly what our mission is in terms of individually. So we, we're familiar with the idea of elevating the sparks and that the, you know, the sparks fell and every person has their little, what we call pekala, their package, their area and space in their life and the world that they need to refine. So it used to be very clear cut. A person would go to his tzaddik, would go to his rebbe and say, what is my mission? And the rebbe would tell him, like, you need to be a wagon driver. You need to be going to business. Like, this is your area of the world that needs to be refined. This is your purpose. This is your mission. Um, it's not that way anymore. The reason for that is because the sparks, the big, all the big sparks have been found and elevated already. And the sparks that remain are so, so, so tiny that it's not like each one gets their spark. We have to grab what we can when we can. Um, Nisim Nemanov, has anyone heard of Nisim Nemanov? He was a chassid, I think first of the Friedrich Rebbe, but of the Rebbe. He was a big mashpia in France, if anyone's familiar with Brunois Yeshiva, which is like the big Chabad Yeshiva. He was the mashpia there. Uh, the Rebbe said about him that he was a Benoni, a, which is, we know in Chabad is a big compliment. Uh, in other it's like, why he's a Benoni? You know, he's a Tzaddik, he's a Benoni, it's a very big deal. Um, he once came to the Rebbe when he, on one of his last visits, um, and one of his sons had gotten married and, and to the daughter of someone who was in like the printing business, and his son had gone with his father-in-law into like the printing business, into business. And Mr. Nemanov was disappointed. He wanted his son to, you know, also be a mashpia and to also go into dedicating his whole life to Tyra. And he said to the Rebbe, no, maybe this was his, um, these are his sparks. Like this is his uh, Avaita Sabirim. And the Rebbe responded very seriously. He said, um, my father-in-law has already said that we don't know, it's some, something called Said Habirurim, the secret of the Birurim. Like what elevations belong to which people and which parts of the, like the Rebbe said, we, we don't know that anymore. The sparks are so small these days that we, what's relevant for us today is if there's an opportunity in front of you, that means that that is their place for you and you need to grab it. So the opportunities that we find us that we're confronted with, those are our missions in life. Those are our birurim. We could say, yeah, but that's too big for me or that, I don't know, I don't have time for that right now. Or, I'm not holding there yet. But if it's in front of you, you need to grab it. That's the idea of grab and eat, grab and drink, as we'll see with, with different examples um, that will come up now.
Okay, that's, that's the idea so far. That a person should not limit himself to his past and to first doing tshuva in order to proceed. Even if his Torah and mitzvahs are not done in the perfect way now because there are lacks or his intentions are not perfect, he should do them anyway. And then when, once he actually grows, all of his past Torah and mitzvahs, even if they weren't done with the perfect intentions, will be raised up, will be raised up with him. Let's continue inside. Hey, kol ha'amor, everything that's been said, is not only referencing to the revealed part of Tyra and to halachas, for example, that a person shouldn't say, well, there are certain halachas that I'm not holding there, I'm going to wait, I don't understand them yet, I'm going to push it off. But also, but rather, gam also, this is relevant to the learning of primia satira as well. The, the customs and the direction. Lafi Hayras Razal, as we have the instruction from the Gemara Chataifa Chol, grab and eat is referring to Galia de Tyre, the revealed parts of Tyre. Shanim Lechem, which have been compared to bread, bread is food. Chataifa Ishti, grab and drink is referring to Pnimias Tyre, to the innermost aspects of Tyre. Shanim Mayim, to drink, to water. You know, uh, Pneumia Satora is compared to all different types of liquids depending on, depending on the context. Oil, and, but it is also compared to water. So grab and eat, grab and drink. Don't just limit yourself to grabbing the revealed opportunities, but also the elements of the concealed Tyra that previously were not accessible to us. As the Rebbe says here, despite the fact that in previous generations, for basically going all the way back, in t- like since we got the Torah, a person was not allowed to begin to learn the secrets of the Torah unless he had truly prepared himself. The basic one is that it said, I think the, I think the Rabbi Shem Bar Yechai himself said that a person should not learn Zohar until he's 40 years old. And even then, it wasn't just you could be 40 years old and learn. A person had to truly prepare himself and be on a very, very high standing. Because as we know, Kabbalah could be dangerous in terms of if a person who's approaching Kabbalah from an ignorant place or not a fully prepared place and suddenly start to see that God has all of these spheres, right? Like it's, it's very easy to take the teachings of Kabbalah and, and flip them and turn them into something that's completely the opposite of, of the truth of Tyra. And, and it's, it's very easy to do that. So Kabbalah and the secrets of the Tyra, the Pumis were always guarded very carefully. You had to be in a very, very high standing in order to be able to open up these texts and to really learn them. However, we see that in our generations, it is actually a commandment to reveal this wisdom. That's a quote from the Arizal. The Arizal was one of the first, probably the first one who, tra- who took Kabbalah from something that was an elitist, you know, so for the elite and made it much more accessible to everybody. And to the point is that it's, a, it's, an, it's an obligation to reveal this wisdom. And as we know, the famous story that the Baal Shem Tov went up and Mashiach told him when, and he said, when is Mashiach coming? When your wellsprings will spread forward, when Chassidus will be spread to the whole world. 
and especially the Achar Hiskalos Torah Since we've had the revelation of the Torah in addition to Kabbalah, through the Balshemtov, Admar and the Alter Rebbe, and all those who follow in his path and all the following Rabbeim, Nastezu Kochol Shar Chalkeyatar. This has become just like all other parts of Torah and accessible to everybody. Bahari Kolish Yisrael. And every single Jewish person, Chayav Lilmoid as Chol Chalkeya Torah, is obligated to learn all aspects of Torah. There is an halacha that's brought down, an idea that a person has to learn all parts of Torah. Pshat, Remez, Drush, Soid. And if he hasn't, then his soul is going to become re- reincarnated again into the world, into another body, until he's learned all areas of Torah. Chassidus helps us fix this problem because Chassidus, as we learned in Inyone Tarsa Chassidus, in the essay about what is Chassidus, it's the essence of all of Tyra. So when we learn Chassidus, we're actually learning all four elements. And so we're, we're coming through on our obligation to learn all parts of Tyra. So it used to be that learning side, that learning the secret parts of Tyra, that learning Chassidus were not that learning Kabbalah were, were for the elite. Were, if you were on a level that you were ready to do it, if you'd fixed yourself up, you could do it. But that is not the case today at all. We're learning the highest parts of Tyra, everyone. And, and, and that's our, actually an obligation to share it with everyone. And we see different examples of this from, from the Rebbe's time. That, for example, you guys familiar with that the Chabadniks put on two types of tefillin, Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam? I don't know exactly how it works, when, what, where, but I know they put on two. Um, I don't know if it's only Chabad. Yeah, I think so. It's pretty much only Chabad, yeah. right? So the idea with Rabbeinu Tam Tfilin, not only in Chabad, but everywhere, was that Rabbeinu Tam Tfilin are for like really, you know, to put on an extra pair of Tfilin was like if you're on a really, really high level, if you're really holy. And at the beginning of the Rebbe's Nasis, people did not wear two pairs of Tfilin, only like really, really high. And then some people would, the Rebbe, would ask the Rebbe and the Rebbe would say, yeah, you can, you're like, you can put on Rabbeinu Tam, no, you can't, you're not holding there yet. It was like a level that you reach that you put on an extra pair of tefillin, right? Um, And then the Rebbe just like switched and it was like, that's it. Every boy from Bar Mitzvah puts on two pairs of tefillin. You know, my uncle was one of the first, like, Bachrams, like, the Rabbit of Talon. Really? Yeah. That's I so think cool. Was the first, like, to to yeah. put on Rabbeinu Talon yeah. at his bar mitzvah? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so that was like a 13 year old boy who doesn't know anything, who knows where and what and thinking what. Um, to put on Rabbeinu Talon, it's like, what? But, but that's really the, the Rebbe's. We started to get access to things that really were limited to being on a certain level before. I mean, just the whole Tefillin campaign. The amount of backlash to the Tefillin campaign, not only Chabadniks, if you speak to Chabadniks, they were shocked. They're like, really? We're going to put Tefillin on like someone on the beach without a shirt with all those tattoos? Like, it was really foreign. But this is the, this is the approach. Like, we, every single mitzvah is an opportunity forward. And be, we're not in this like orderly lifestyle where, yeah, you first have to take this person and put a shirt on him and wash him negel vasser and bring him into a Chabad house and teach him Aleph Beis. And then you could put the tefillin on him. No, 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 no. You have an opportunity right now to put tefillin on somebody, to give somebody candles. You don't know, you don't know how their Shabbos is going to look, but to give them candles to light, that is, that's what we do. I talked about that. Um, I only watched it the first 10 minutes of like this this morning and they talked about that. Um, this year? Yeah last night, and they were saying how um, whoever started an organization for the candle lighting campaign um, started it, like, right when the Rebbe passed away, 
and invited the Rebbe to an event for it. The Rebbe couldn't go because he was sitting shiva and whatever. And then afterwards, he, he invited them for a private audience and wow. said to them, like, like, and donated money specifically to it, like, for, like, from his, whatever. And um, he was saying that, like, even in my dark times, like, everyone should continue doing all these, like, it was just crazy. And they were saying, like, now we're in a dark time, too, and, like, just because we're in a dark time doesn't mean, like, we can't be doing mitzvahs and stuff. Yeah. I we don't have to, yeah. it was, like, intentionally, like, it wasn't something that women started, it was something that rabbis and women to do, <laughs> so funny, but they started it. Oh, the women started, and then the rabbi t- turned it into a mitzvah. Yeah, I always thought. Really? I always thought that, like that. the other way around, that he turned it into like he sent specifically women who didn't want to intentionally go, but they oh. were like, oh, okay, we're gonna go, like and everything. But apparently, yeah. no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. They took the mitzvah uh, campaign and made, and made it, it like into an organization. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, we see the like. Just the fact that we do not uh, uh, we do not appreciate the fact that a couple decades ago, most of the books of Chassidus that we have today were not available. They were in the Rebbe's private library, one, two copies. That's it. The Rebbe, like, it's like almost the secret. The, the Rebbe had lots of like things he was dealing with and projects that nobody really knew about. Um, there's actually a book called Harega Hayemet, which speaks about the Rebbe's involvement in in Israeli politics. And in Israel's protection, crazy the, the amount, the influence that the Rebbe had, and the meetings the Rebbe was having. So the Rebbe had many different. One of the things that the Rebbe was very, very much involved with was printing chassidus. It started in order, starting with the Alter Rebbe's, then the Mitzvah Rebbe's, taking all of the memorandum that were available. That usually there was like one or two copies, and making them available for everybody. Like the amount of chassidus that we have available to us now was not available. 50 years ago, like, at, like, incomparable, it's crazy, and who, are, like, and you say, who are we, like, the Chassidim then were so much greater, they had a few books, that's all they had of Chassidus, and they were, like, the Chassidim that we look up to, and we're, we're, we're what we are, um, and we're great, and we, we have these opportunities that were never available before, and the reason for that is because we're in the deepest darkness, we have the opportunities to reach for things that wouldn't have made sense sometime, some time ago. And so the Rebbe is giving this to us as like a just a practical instruction. Vav. Al yadei hisnagus shel chatoif ve'achal chatoif ishti. So when a person through this behavior of grab and eat, grab and drink, grabbing the opportunities that have been put in front of him, not limiting himself to where he sees himself as holding or fixing his past. When a person will not take into account his specific standing, and question, am I on the right level yet or not? That he should add and go forward. In his Torah and Mitzvahs, Dover Kanal, that which is similar to the idea of a dream, as we mentioned above, that in a dream you're not limited to reality, and in a dream-like state of exile we're not limited to our spiritual realities. Hare, since etzim are by just the fact that we're adding in light into the light of Torah and Mitzvahs, the light of Torah and Mitzvahs, Masalkim es we. Push away the sleep of Galus, the Mivim es Arhagulah Amiti, and we bring the light of the true 
Geula, Havaya when Hashem will be for us the light of the world. Kaderich Sharaim, just as we see physically, that the time when light comes in, make it Ha'adam Mishnesai. A person automatically wakes up from his sleep. So just as physically we're in a sleep-like state, we're we're out, and then the sun comes and it wakes us up. So too, how do we wake up from exile? By adding in light. The light will take us out of the sleep-like state and out of these dreams and into Geula. But we have to add in the light in order to do that. And we can say, yeah, but I'm, in, I'm sleeping, but I'm in a dream light, but like everything's confusing. It's like, yeah, but you have to add in light. That's the only way that you're actually going to get out of it. Don't first figure out the darkness, add in light. And this really was the Rebbe's approach. Um, again, step-by-step is important as well. Taking on things from, I guess we can say, an unhealthy, an unhealthy place usually backfires. Um, I'm just, I was trying to think about like the difference between we have certain, certain people really just change their lives around. Like when it comes to Yiddishkeit, change their lives around and it looks like an extreme lifestyle change to those outside, but it's real and it lasts. And then there are other people who do the same thing and it, there's something, something doesn't seem healthy about it. And many people will start to say, wait, wait, wait like, take it slower. Maybe take it like, are you sure? And I was trying to think like, what's, what's, what's the difference? Um, how do you know? Because I was thinking, for example, like Rabbi Kaufman, right? Like he's really from, right? And he didn't start off like from, he changed his whole life around. It's like, wait, but like, is that healthy? Like, and someone else who might do the same thing, it's really like, wait, step by step. And this is what I was thinking. I don't know, but I was thinking about this from a, not a spiritual kind of place, but from just like a lifestyle when somebody switches their life around to look at what the motivation behind it is. If the motivation behind it is like negative emotions, like fear, which is a very, very powerful motivation for change, then fear is very good motivation short-term, but not long-term. Because the moment that that fear disappears enough, you end up finding yourself in a place of like, what did I do? What is this life? Like for me, um, I remember with, I literally over a few months changed the whole way that I ate. Like my whole life, not only that, in my whole lifestyle, like, I, I, I wanted to be healthier. I was moving to Israel when I was 15. So I was also just very young and like not understanding exactly what healthy meant. But I was very, very, very afraid of gaining weight in Israel and of losing control. And so that fear was literally, it was so powerful enough that I, I changed the whole way I like ate and moved and, and like my whole, a whole lifestyle changed. Literally, that's what it was. And it lasted for like four years. So it was real. It was real. And it was like an identity. People knew me as that. And then it just like, I couldn't keep it up anymore. It just wasn't working anymore. And well, first of all, the fear had, was, was not working as much or the fear became too detrimental that it was harming me in a way. It's like, wait, let's work on this fear. And then the moment the fear went away, then the whole motivation for everything I was doing went away. And, and I had to learn how to eat from the beginning, basically, literally from scratch. And so to take this idea on needs to be coming from a healthy place. If it's coming from a place of fear, God's going to punish me. People aren't going to accept me. Whatever it is, a place of lack and fear. And then saying, I'm just going to go all in with my Yiddishkeit. That will work temporarily, but then long-term might find yourself in a place of like, what just happened? Where am I holding? And then maybe it doesn't work. But it is absolutely possible to live this way that the Rebbe is saying and to reach for places that we're not even holding, but it has to be coming from a healthy motivation. I think it's if that also makes sense. Like it's also 
the like like in the issue that Dimitrisha that I was before, it was all about how you start with external things and then you're gonna and then you're gonna feel it and then you're actually gonna understand why you're doing it. And it was very like it was so evident with Yeshua how it was not like working for like post Soviet boys who are coming in who don't know what a mitzvah is or whatever. They don't know like they don't understand they don't know what how they're doing. And then they're put into the suits with a hat, with a phone, like and everything. Yeah. And you can see how they're the same person that was before, but they're just so differently and they just behave differently. And yeah. it's like, like literally, I remember like the all the shabukim that I was offering is like a man 40, 40 years who is like, oh, you're gonna support me while I'm gonna be learning. I'm like, do you even know how to how to actually learn? <laughs> no, like it, it wasn't it wasn't a thing. It was just like mamush like external impression that people yeah. were giving, but no no essence to it, no substance to it. And it's like like there if if you're if you're shown that there's one way and this is the way and this is what everybody does. And so you if you wanna fit in and doing, you wanna be accepted right, and right, that's that's like, that's fear. That's like if you wanna fit in here and you wanna be accepted, you need right. to do this, this and this. And so even if it's beyond you, okay, so then you're doing these things and they're positive things, but again it's coming from a place of like I need to fit in, which is a fear based thing and then and then that's that's not enough to keep it go maybe for some people it's enough their whole life to live in fear and it, it is i'm saying if if you surround yourself in that culture it could be enough to last you forever but <laughs> it's true like <laughs> it works it does work for some people but um but we we don't want a relationship with hashem that's only based on fear and chassidus teaches us and kabbalah enables us to have a connection with hashem also of love and so if we want that it needs to be coming from a whole from a whole place but when we do approach our yiddishkeit from a place of wholeness and from actually just seeking out the truth, we can we we have opportunities that today, because of the confused state that we live in, that we never would have had before, and we can actually reach levels that we never could have reached if we were going step by step. But yeah, so I think that was just important to know where where those changes, I guess, are coming from, and to question them, to question you know, okay, I'm taking on this massive change, whatever it is, whatever area, what's, where's this coming from? Where's this coming from? And, and if it's coming from a place of just fear and fear, fear has lots of different expressions of that, then to, to say, okay, how can we maybe change the motivation first to make sure it's something that can actually, that can, that can last. So, zu efor, so this therefore, Zion 76, ha mikach, this is the instruction that we learn this is the lesson, sorry. The dreams were the reason for us entering into the exile of Mitzrayim. And therefore also for the fact that we left Egypt. If we'd never been exiled to Egypt, we never would have had Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We never would have left with all of the wonders, with the splitting of the sea, with the Rechush Gadol, with the great Rechush that we learned about chassidically represents all of the sparks that we took out of there would also not have come if not for these dreams. So the exile came from the dreams, but also the redemption. The exile of Mitzrayim was the hardest of all the exiles. All of the Goliaths are named after Mitzrayim. It's like the exile of all exiles. And it's the source for the concept of exile. 
But despite this, but only through all your day, through Hagalus, through the exile, the Jews were able to reach a level that afterwards they left with great wealth, physically and spiritually. This too is our situation now in Golis. What led us into this situation is blindness, is darkness, is dreams. But that's also what leads us out of it. Because it gives us the opportunity to grab tremendous wealth that we couldn't have done if we weren't in the Golis. And that enables us to have the Geula, the redemption that we will have and that we're waiting for. Despite the fact that all of the work, Bisman Golis, in the time of exile, it's in a way of a dream which means we don't appreciate what we're doing. We're not able to connect to it very deeply and we jump between different realities and we're in a state of confusion. Nevertheless, rather on the contrary, from the fact that this is how it is, that this is the way exile looks, that it's in a way of a dream, it gives us the possibility to reach an even higher level, an even higher level than before the Jews were exiled than when they were in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, through skipping, through this ability that we have to jump levels and to grab and reach opportunities because we're in a chaotic space. Through adding in the light of the Torah and the mitzvahs, Hamasalek as Shena Sagalus, which pushes away the sleep of exile. The Mevi Vile Lide Kimate Seischa Meeretz Mitzrayim Eren and Eflois, and we can reach that in the days that you will leave Egypt, I will show you wonders. Bavias Mashiach Tzidkenu B'Mehera V'Yamenu, with the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days. Amen. Chaim. Okay. It's the first time I taught the Sikha after learning the Mimer, and I'd re- I really see that it adds a lot. Because usually you end the Mimer and you have to take your own instructions from it, right? You could go in either way and in either direction, but the Rebbe here is giving us some clear guidance. And I hope we can all uh, use it and take it with us. Guidance specifically for this generation, also, right? We know the Altar Rebbe speaking to his generation, the Rebbe speaks to our generation. And uh, yeah, so we should take this with us. And tomorrow, please God, we will start, um, we're going to start a mimer by the Rebbe, actually. Um, and then, bless you, and then we're going to hopefully do the sicha that I mentioned about the moon, sun and the moon. So we'll, we'll, go, in, we'll go in that order. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You're welcome. Thank you.